You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Well, amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 4 today. Revelation chapter 4, as we uh, continue in our series, We the Church. One of my favorite lines in that uh, video bumper is the line, not perfect, but being perfected. I am so glad that we don't have to live to the standard of perfection, but rather in Jesus Christ every day, growing up in Christ, being perfected. We call that sanctification, being changed in our walk with him. And um, lots of room for forgiveness, lots of room for growing up in the church, and we the church. Today we want to take a look at a topic um, of worship, and the message is called, it's entitled, Window Rattling Worship. So let me ask you this question. Is your worship window rattling? Because it's pretty tough to test that in this room. There's no windows. Um, But your worship, because you could say, well, yeah, no, I come to church. I get all fired up when I come to church. I love the band. I love the singing. But are you fired up about God or are you fired up about worship? And um, so is your worship window rattling? And we're going to learn a lot about worship from Revelation chapter 4 today. But, but I would ask you this, your, your worship in your own time, when you're alone with God, when you're on your couch or in your chair or in your bed or wherever you do that quiet time you have, is it a, a window rattling time? Is it a time where you see God and you're like, oh my goodness, God is awesome. I am so thrilled at what God has done in my life. I am overwhelmed at his faithfulness and his goodness. Does your window-rattling worship in your life drive you to your knees in repentance as you consider who God is and what he's done and then see you yourself and, and your sinfulness through the lens of that? And is your worship window-rattling? I think to be honest with you, and I want to be honest with you, that's my job, but is um, every day is not like that for me. Every day is not like it should be. But am I growing? Not perfect, but being perfected. Is worship becoming more and more central in my life as I'm growing up in my walk with Jesus Christ? There are some great principles that we can learn from Revelation uh, chapter 4. So I'm trust you've got your Bibles open by now. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as I read his word, uh, Revelation chapter 4. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. 
And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, and the third living creature like the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, were full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never ceased to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, they they fall down before him who is seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Let's pray. Father John had a vision, a vision of a glimpse in heaven and there's so much to instruct us in what he saw about our own worship. And so, Lord, I pray that as we um, cast our eyes on this page of Scripture, as we consider what is taught here, that you would give us ears, God, to hear your word. And not to take it lightly because it comes from you, directly from you for us. You would give us minds that we could understand what is said in this vision. And then, Lord, um, hearts to take your word and apply it in our lives. Lord, would you do in me, would you do in us what only you can do? The transforming that happens because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us in this place. Do your work in your way for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, thank you. You can take your seats. A couple weeks ago, we took a look at Isaiah chapter six and we saw another vision. It was Isaiah's vision. The year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And it talked about what he saw and how it brought him to brokenness and to repentance and calling to serve. And, and here we have a, another vision. Um, this one's a little bit different. This one's a little bit more sci-fi, um, if you want to call it that. And, and um, my wife tells me she has a hard time reading Revelation because of all the imagery that's there and like, what does it mean? And, and so all these creatures, they got eyes all bopping out of their heads all over the place. And we, we just don't watch that stuff in our house because Sue's not going to sleep. And, uh, um, and so it's, uh, you need to remember it's a vision. And, and so God uh, comes to John with a vision. And there's some things we want to see and there's things we want to learn in it and, and remembering that it was a vision. Can we say that one more time? It was a Thank you. Yeah, you've got it. So, but what did he see? Let's take a look at five things that he saw. First of all, it says he saw a throne. Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven. He saw this throne. It was the first thing that strikes him. And John becomes fixated on the throne. The throne is occupied but there's no specific description of what the one who was on the throne looks like. There are some things about that that we're going to see, but he sees this throne. It says about the, stone, the, the throne that there's some stones. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carmelian around the throne. So, so the, the, Jasper and Carmelian are, are two kinds of stones. Uh, if you have a different version, it might call them a different thing, but it's the same thing. It's kind of like saying a rock and a stone. Description of the same thing. One of the stones was white in color. 
And the other stone was red in color. And so as he's seeing this, he, he pictures this as, as, as stones and, and one is white and one is red. And, and the commentators love to talk about what that means. And, but the bottom line is it doesn't really say. It just says he saw two stones. But if one is white and one is red, maybe the white one is referring to the purity of God. And maybe the red one is referring to redemption and the price that would be paid for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I could see that and I could understand that and I could make that argument, but the text doesn't say. We just know that these stones are valuable and he looks at them and he's, he's mesmerized by what he sees in the stone. And then, then it says that there was a rainbow. Um, there's a rainbow around the throne and it has an appearance like a, an emerald. And you all know what it's like. Maybe if you were coming to church today, we were already here when the sun came out and the rain was done. But if you looked in the right direction, you might have seen a rainbow today and, and just seen the beauty of that and uh, remembering the flood. And God said, I'm never doing this again. And, uh, but there's this rainbow that's coming out from the throne and it reminds him of emerald. And again, it speaks of great value and he's just overwhelmed about the throne. He sees the rainbow and... And then he sees these uh, 24 thrones. Around the thrones were, around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the throne were 24 elders. Well, we're doing this series called um, We the Church. The kids down in um, Harvest Kids are doing the same messages. They're looking at the same texts that we're looking at today. And so uh, they were doing a kind of a craft today. And, and uh, they were kind of coming up with the pictures. And so here's one with a throne with 24 little pictures around it. And we're going to see seven torches in a minute. And, and the four creatures and, and the, the 24 elders and their crowns. And uh, all these things so that we will remember who who God is and how awesome he is. And uh, your kids aren't going home with that today. They'll be going home with this one next week. But they're being taught the same thing and they're thinking about God and how, how John saw him and the description. And, and so now we have these 24 thrones and 24 elders sitting on the thrones and they're all wearing white um, garb and they're all wearing a crown on their head. Now the crown's coming off before the end of the chapter, but that's the way they're seated. And so, so who are these guys? Who are the 24 elders seated on the throne? I believe they're us. They're worshipers. Uh, that's who they are. Seated around the throne and we're there and they're worshiping God. What an amazing picture as he looks and realizes the church of Jesus Christ, the followers of Jesus Christ, worshiping almighty God. Then it talks about seven torches uh, in verse five. Um, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder. He's seeing all of that going on. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Well, what is that? Well, it's a vision again. And so he doesn't specifically say. There are two major thoughts as to what these seven torches were and, and, and what they represent. And one of the major thoughts, the one I think is probably true, is it represents the Holy Spirit. Um, there's a verse in Ezekiel that talks about the seven spirits of God and it goes through and it talks about characteristics of God, each one of them, but it's referring to one thing, um, the Holy Spirit. Um, but some good and godly and wise people think it's really just coming from the previous couple chapters where it's talking about the, the seven churches and that's what's being reflected here. I, when we get to heaven, we'll find out. All I know is John has this vision and he sees the throne and his eyes start to get bigger and he sees the stones and his eyes start to get bigger and the thunder and the lightning and, the, and his eyes are getting bigger and he sees the 24 thrones and the elders sitting on the thrones and his eyes are getting bigger and bigger and 
bigger. And, and then he sees the seven torches, which represent, I believe, the Holy Spirit of God. And then it says he sees a sea of glass. The word is a, a word of crystal glass to give a clear reflection of who God is. And in his vision, he's just in awe of who God is. And then there's one more thing he says he sees. He sees the four living creatures. The four living creatures. And um, down in verse uh, six, and before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The seven living cre- second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. They've got eyes all around. They're seeing, they're perceiving, they're understanding. They are calling out to God. These aren't robots. They, they are engaged in who God is and, and what God is doing. And the four of them, one is described as a lion. We call the lion the king of beasts. Um, the lion was the mightiest of the wild animals. And so in this picture, that's what he has. He has a picture of a, a lion, the, the, the mightiest of all of the creatures. And then the, the picture of an ox. The ox was the strongest of the domesticated animals. And, and so it speaks of strength. And, and then you have the one of man who is the highest of all creation. And then you have the picture of the eagle, the king of all of the birds. When, when uh, we lived out in British Columbia... We had the privilege to watch eagles soar. And if you've never, if you've seen it on TV, that's cute. But if you've ever seen it, that's amazing. And, and you watch them get caught in the current of air and they just go around and around and they start and they're a few hundred feet up and then they're, and eventually like they're gone and uh, you just see them soaring, a picture of, of being able to watch over and see all that God is doing. And John has a vision. He's in awe. But the vision really is about God. And that's what we want to see next, who God is. And, and there are um, four major areas we want to look at this real quick. But here's the first one in verse 2. At once, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. There's only one on the throne. And you're not it. You're not him. You're not her. The one seated on the throne is not me. We live in a world that, that tries to put man on the throne or tries to get rid of the throne. The, the atheist, he tries to get rid of the throne. There is no God. He tries to just make that all go away. The materialist, he just wants his stuff and there is no throne. But in reality, the atheist and materialist, the, in atheism and in materialism, you put yourself on the throne because you become the judge. You become the jury. You become... Everybody has a throne and somebody on the throne. The humanist, he's just willing to admit it. I am on the throne. There is no God. I am God. And John looks and he sees one on the throne. One. And he understands it is God, and he understands God is in control, and it's a picture of sovereignty and rightful reign and the prerogative to judge. There is one who is on the throne, and it's not me, and it's not you. And then down in verse 8, look at verse 8, he says, um, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, were full of eyes all around and within um, and day and night, they never cease to say, this is what they say about God, holy, holy, 
holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You remember back in the Isaiah chapter six, the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord is holy, holy, holy. The repetition was for emphasis because we just don't get it. We're, we're kind of lame about that kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, 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 I get it. God is holy. No, 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 no. God's not holy like you think he's holy. Holy, holy. Yeah, okay, okay, I'm starting to get it. He's holy. He's, yeah, okay, I get it. No, 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 not like that. Holy, holy, holy. We put the bar down here so that we can jump over it and the bar belongs up here on God's holiness. And so three times the creatures are crying out, holy is the Lord. He is set apart. He is not us. He is not like us. He is holy. And we ascribe and we strive to it and we work towards it because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. But he is so much more. He is holy. And then it goes on and it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The Lord, the King, the God, the sovereign one, almighty, the omnipotent one. And then there's another description of him. It says, who was and is and is to come. The one who was and is and is to come. The one who was before the creation of the world. The one who spoke and it happened and there was creation. The one in seven days who created the heavens and the earth and all of the things and created man and put us on this earth. The one who was The one who picked up the pieces of Adam and Eve after their sin and began a plan of redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who gave his only son so that I could have eternal life through the finished work, the only right payment, Jesus Christ in my place. The one who was. The one who died. The one who was buried. The one who rose again. He was And he is. As we go through all of the things in the journey of our life, part of the one who was is God's faithfulness to you and all the things you've gone through and you're going through now, but in the past and looking back and remembering, oh my goodness, there's how God was faithful to us. That's how God led us to go to this place or in our children when something happened to them. And and we look back and remember the one who was, the one who was, and the one who is right now. God's not just a past tense God. He is an is God right now, working in your life, giving you direction today. The one who is and what you're going through, you need to lean in on God because he is. It's not a God who just was, but he was and he is. He cares about you right now. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was. And the one who is. Stop trying harder and depend more on the one who is. And the one who is to come. The one who is to come. What's coming tomorrow that you don't even know about. The journey that you're going to go on. The hard thing that you're going to face. That's the same God. The one who was there back there. The one who is helping you today. He's the one who is to come. Everything that's still coming. He's not going away. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. That's who they're talking about. The creatures are crying out, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come for what you're going to need this week and this month and this year. And then there's the is to come, which is really cool, when he comes back for us and we spend eternity with him. 
holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. Verses 9 and uh, 10 kind of support that because twice it says, who lives forever and ever. I think of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came and paid a price that I couldn't pay, the one who was the propitiation, the right and righteous and only true payment for my sin, the one who, when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, all of his righteousness is put on me, all of my sin is put on him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's the foundation for us of worship is the working of the Lord Jesus Christ in your redemption, in my redemption. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, worship isn't coming to church. We worship when we come to church, but worship isn't coming to church. Worship is coming to the foot of the cross and understanding who Jesus is and what he did for you, what was accomplished for you on the cross. And by faith alone, in Christ alone, God's grace through faith. And we see what Jesus Christ did and we are in awe of him. If you've never trusted Christ, it's not about your accomplishments. It's not about what you can do. It's not about how hard you try. It's about what Jesus Christ did. He offers to you a free gift of eternal life. All you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You turn in repentance from what you believed in. You turn from your sin. You understand you tried, you failed, you can't fix it and you follow Jesus Christ. It's the foundation of our our worship who was and is and is to come who lives forever and ever. And then down in uh, verse 11, here we see the elders getting back into this thing and it says, um, starting verse 10, and the, four, and the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and, and they worship him who lives forever and ever and they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and they were created. God, you are worthy. God, you are worth it and you are deserving of it. You are worthy. You're the one who created all things. And by him, they existed and were created. He made them. He, uh, he keeps them. And that's true of me. I have another breath because God allows me to have another breath. I have strength for the battle because God gives me strength for the battle because he is worthy. And that is the focus for the follower of Jesus Christ on our worship. We look at God and we look at him alone And so John, as he is in Revelation 4, we have a picture of what he saw. It lays a foundation of who God is. And now I want to take a look at the response because that ties right to our worship. And what does worship look like? And even what is worship? So I looked it up in the Webster's Dictionary. So what is worship? Pretty good, actually. An act of paying divine honor to God. That's okay. I like this better. It's acknowledging God for who he is, what is his, and all he has done. Worship is acknowledging God for who he is, 
what is his, and all he has done. You see, when we get worship wrong, it's because we get ourselves on the throne or we lose the focus of, of that it's really all about God. Worship is about who God is. It's about his attributes. It's about the things that he has done. It's about what is his. See, we live in a world where we think this stuff is our stuff and the stuff isn't our stuff. And we're stewards of all that God has poured out for us. And true worship happens when I acknowledge who he is, what is his, and what he has done. Separated from God, no hope as a sinner, he gave his son. That's what he did. Offered to me the free gift of eternal life, brought me from death to life. Every day, your pastor, before God, dealing with the things in his life and God restoring and bringing back and lifting up because worship is not about me. Worship is about him and it's acknowledging it. Your worship becomes window rattling when you take hold of, my goodness, God is awesome. And all that's been poured out for me comes from him. And all that he's done for me drives me to my knees in repentance and weeping and thanksgiving. Worship is a lifestyle. You're not going to have room in your notes for this part, by the way, so you're going to have to go down the side. Then the other two points in here are going to be brief. But worship is a lifestyle. We are to worship when we come together like this. But the worship is really you and God. It's not 350 or 400 people. It's, it's you before God. Worship is a lifestyle. And, and uh, it, this is an important part. We see it all through scripture, people coming together and worshiping and it's critical and we need to do it and we're told to don't forsake this coming together. But, but it's more than just what happens in this room. It's our life. My grandma used to say to me when I was a little kid, used to say to all of us, tick this off. But she used to say, can you take Jesus with you? I hated that because I want to do something lame. And I really didn't want to take Jesus with me. Now, the reality is it's the wrong question, right? Because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't get a choice. So if I choose to go off and do something sinful, I'm dragging him along because Christ is in me. But it was a great reminder just to think about what's important and What's significant and what are the priorities in my life? And who God is and what he, what belongs to him and what he has done should more and more be in the forefront of our lives every day as we grow up as followers of Jesus Christ. Our worship should be what happens when we take the time in the day when we, we give God the best of our day. Sometimes God gets the leftovers in our day. Really? I'm guilty of that. I'm tired and, you know, I just kind of, oh, I got to do this before I go to sleep. I got to get a little check mark before I go to bed tonight. And, and God gets the leftovers in our day and we don't give him the best of our day. And yet he is God. He's the one who was and is and is to come. And I would dare bring him the leftovers. Why would we do that? Because we don't have a right view of God. And we don't have a right view of what is his. And we forget what he has done for us. 
I'm going to poke at something for just a minute, and uh, I hope you'll forgive me if you need to, and I hope you'll take this if you need to. And, but worship is a priority. Corporate worship is also a priority. So why is it when we start the service, the room's about one-third full? If God is on the throne, the one who was and the one who is and the one who is to come, and we're coming together as the body of Christ to worship, why can't we get here on time? It's easy for me to stand up and say, because I got to be here on time. And I don't know what you went through this morning. But I know it's kind of habitual for us. And so I want to say this, if you're a single mom or a single dad or or if you've got little Johnny in the back seat and you have a diaper blowout on the way to church, I understand stuff happens. And I think God has all kinds of grace for all of that. But for the rest of us, and you're like, well, wait a minute, you don't understand. We got here, it was like five to 11. We had to park a block and a half away. Well, I'll tell you what, you get here at quarter to 11, you'll get a spot in the parking lot and somebody else will have to walk. <laughs> or get here at quarter 11, park in the same spot and walk. But why does God get the seconds from us? Why do, we, why do we allow that sloppiness to happen? And I can be just as guilty of this as you are. And it's because we've lost the focus. We've lost the priority of who God is. And in that moment on Sunday morning, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. They'll be all right. It's like, you don't come to church for me. You don't come to church for Harvest Bible Chapel. We don't come to church for Chris and the worship team. We come to church to worship, worship God. He is the, the priority. So if you needed to hear that, hear it. If you needed to be rebuked by it, be rebuked by it. If you need to be encouraged by it, be encouraged by it. But allow God to do that work. Does God get the seconds in your worship? Every part of our being is to worship him. Physically, emotionally, mentally, socially, obviously spiritually, all of us. In the text, there's, there's two things that are primary that we see that they did. Uh, first of all, there's a lot of saying. There's things that they said. In verse 8, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy. In your worship, do you say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. In verse nine, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne. So they're saying, and they're saying they're giving glory. We talked about um, God's glory is demonstrated through his attributes. And so do you think about God's attributes? Do you talk about them? Do you thank God for the fact that he is omniscient? He knows the very nature of your heart and your failures. And he knows the, he hears the praise and the thanksgiving because he deserves our glory. He deserves to be honored because he is in heaven and we are on earth. And thanksgiving Every day, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how hard it is. Um, three weeks ago, Sue and I had a couple up here on the platform after a service praying. She was having some tests for cancer. And, and as we talked about it, we talked about the reality of regardless of how the chest comes back, we have to thank God. We've got to give him glory. And, and to watch them and see them embrace that and work that through. And, 
And then to hear yesterday that the test all came back clear and all the rest was just an amazing thing. And we're thankful to God for that. But we don't just give God thanks when we get the good news. As we go through all of the things in life, because God is ordering our steps and he's going with us and he will help us. And, and so the four creatures, they're up there and they're saying, and the elders say, um, they cast their crowns and they're saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all these things and by your will they existed and they were created. And so they are saying, and then there's doing. Worship is made up of saying, worship is made up of doing. Now look what the elders do back in verse 10. The 24 elders, they fall down before him who is seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, and then Verse 11. And so you got these 24 people who represent us. They're the worshipers. Angels don't sit on thrones and worship God. Angels are servants and they're serving. They're flying around doing whatever angels do. But, but there's the 24 elders and there they are with their white robes on and the crowns on their head. And then they get a glimpse of who God is. And what do they do? They fall on their face. When you read Revelation, it's so cool to watch the elders. It's such a great thing for us to learn as elders of this church. Where do you see them? They're always on their faces worshiping God. Great thing for us to learn. Get a focus on who God is. But the elders here are not just the elders of the church. They are us. They're all of us. And we take hold of who God is. There's a doing. And the doing is they're on their knees and they're on their faces. They don't care if their white robes get dirty. It doesn't matter. And they're taking the crowns that they have on their heads and they're, they're giving them to Jesus because of what he's accomplished for them. That's what our worship does. It's saying and it's doing. And in the church over the years, there's been lots of mess up about worship. Churches have split over this. There's been discussions about it. People can't decide, do I sit or do I stand? Do I clap or not? Do I raise my hands? Do I dance or stand rigid? And, and we've confused preference with precept. My life is an act of worship. And God's word gives us all kinds of guidelines and helps and how we can worship. But as I go through, I'm gonna go through a quick list in just a second, but I want you to hear this. It's not about what other people think. It's you before God. That's what worship is. It's you before God. All kinds of variety. Psalm 33.8 says, stand when you worship. All the earth fear the Lord, that all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Well, how long, pastor? Like if we sing four songs, I don't know if I can make it through four songs. I think I can only make it through three songs. Really? You're gonna stand out there for 20 minutes after the service and yap about who knows what and you can't stand before God and worship for four songs. Well, sit down. That's part of worship too, by the way. Um, Psalm 110, verse one. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. We had a lady in the uh, third row in the last service who, who wasn't feeling well. She was here. Her husband was here last night. Their kids are sick. He came last night. She came this morning. And after like the second song, she sat down. It was an amazing. That's exactly right. So stand before the Lord in worship. And if your legs won't hold you up anymore, then sit down. But worship the Lord. Kneeling. Most of us, our rugs aren't worn out beside our beds or around our desks or ever from kneeling. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, Psalm 95 and verse six. Hey, how about this one? Dancing. 
Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with the tambourine and the lyre, the harp, that is. Okay, let me tell you something. If anybody ever sees me worshiping dancing, it's going to be an offense to them. I get that. Okay. I couldn't dance if my life depended on it. And here's all I want to say about our worship under this context. Whatever we do shouldn't be distracting to other people. So we're not big dancers in church. Although I watch some of you move around, you're actually pretty good. And, uh, but then it can't be a distraction. But if you're at home and you want to dance before the Lord, David danced before the Lord. His wife didn't like it, but God loved it. All I would say is just close the drapes. <laughs> the neighbors might not have the same appreciation for what you're doing as you do. But it's okay. Because Bible, the Bible says you get so invigorated before God, the, the working of God in your life, that window rattling's going on and you want to stand in your, your living room and boogie for Jesus, you go ahead. Because it's you before God. You do it in a way that honors him and, and brings him glory. Well, what about putting your hands up? You know, you know, I grew up, we never put our hands up. Well, the Bible says, put your hands up. So it says in Psalm 63, 4, I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I'll lift up my hands. Psalm 143, 6 says, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you in a parched land. It's okay to put your hands up. You don't have to put your hands up. There's all kinds of variety. God, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. But if you want to put your hands up, put your hands up. But let me tell you this. If you're putting your hands up like this and you're looking around to see who's seeing you with your hands up, put them in your pocket. Because you're not doing it for God. You're not doing it for his fame. The focus is not for his glory. But raising your hands is in scripture. It's okay. It's a good thing to do. To me, it speaks of submission. It's a picture of I'm, it's all for him. It's not for me. There's lots of stuff on Google that makes fun of raising hands in church because how people do it. And people are starting out and they're like this and they can't get their hands up any higher than that. And, and it means different things. And, and like some people are like, when, when your hands are like this, you're like giving God the glory. And when your hands are like this, you're receiving from God. I go, well, there's no verses for any of that in the Bible. It might be true and maybe in your experience and as you grow up and you're learning and it's like, Lord, to you be the glory. And Lord, from you I receive. But it's about your heart. It's about the why. Lift up holy hands, we sang. Some people are like, what, my hands aren't holy. If you know Jesus Christ, they are. He's the one who sanctifies us. He's the one who makes us holy. Hands raised, falling on the ground. Genesis 13, 3 says, then Abraham fell on his face before the Lord. How about clapping? Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. So clapping's in. How about shouting? Well, it says it right in that verse. Isaiah 12, 6 says, shout and sing for joy, inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One. Hey, leaf season is starting. Some of you are starting to get exuberant about it. Go for it now, because you'll be over that in about two months. But you get all excited about that, and you go to a game, or you watch it on TV, and, and you're like a screaming wild person. And when it comes to God, you can hardly raise your voice above a murmur. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. He is the victor. We win because of Jesus Christ. Symbols. Uh-oh. Now he's going to talk about drums in the church. Well, we got them in our church, and they're not going anywhere, so just so you know. But the Bible says, praise him with sounding symbols. And some people are like, could we just make the symbols just kind of go, 
just, just use brushes on the symbols. Please, please, please. Don't use the sticks on the symbols. Psalm 150, verse 5, phrase him with loud, clashing symbols. Not, it's like bam, bam, bam for Jesus. Now, not the whole service. I don't want to have to have Tylenol in the front row. But the cymbals and the drums and the passion is for the Lord. And we praise him with shouting and we praise him with clapping and we praise him with cymbals and we praise him with singing. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song for he's done marvelous things, Psalm 98.1. You can even have trumpets, Psalm 150 verse 3. Praise him with a trumpet sound. But don't ever forget this. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. If all of your worship is just a bunch of ruckus, you need to stop and have some quiet time. You need to have time where you're be still before. That's what I love about the time of communion in our church. It's a time where we still before the Lord. We're quiet before the Lord. Hey, we were um, up, uh, the worship staff, the worship team, 50 of us up at a guy's house on Friday night. And uh, we're having a campfire and a barbecue and... It was just so cool. We were having a prayer time while we were there. And uh, so it was silent. And while it was silent, I, I looked up and saw the stars. If you live south of Major Mac, you never see that if you look up in the night. But it's, if you live north of Major Mac, you get out in the country and you see stars like you should see stars. Be still and know that I am God. As I'm looking up, I'm looking up and it's just black and I can't see it. What, what is that? Because it's, it's a massive maple tree. Be still and know that I am God. And in the silence, we heard the wind just going through the trees. Be still and know that I am God. Remember the God of your salvation. Be still and know that I am God. Remember the God who forgives your trespasses. Be still and know that I am God. See, worship has all kinds of variety and all kinds of parts to it. And and it's you before God. They worshiped. They worshiped. Well, so what? So what? One of the pillars at Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region, is lifting high the name of Jesus through worship. The purpose of my worship is to lift up Almighty God, and especially the working of the Lord Jesus Christ in me. When I'm truly worshiping, when my focus is right, what happens? What are the results? Real quick, I have a proper view of God because when I'm worshiping right, I'm remembering who God is, what is his, and what he has done. I have a proper view of God And when I get a a proper view of God, then I get a proper view of myself. God is in heaven, you are on earth. Let your words be few, God's word says. When I have a proper view of worship and a proper view of who God is, then I am kept from sin because I don't want what I want more than I want what God wants and it keeps me from sin. And when I sin, when I have a proper view of worship, I am cleansed from my sin because I know my father is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And when I have a proper view of God and what is his and what he has done, I gain strength for the battle. The God who was, the God who is, and the God who will always be.
your worship? Much window rattling going on in your worship? Much times before God where it's like, oh my God, you are awesome to me. If not, I'll get that right before you leave this place today. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, worship doesn't begin by just coming to church. Worship is at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. Accepting the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ for you, for your salvation. God, help me. Help us as a church that the worship we have is window rattling. Next week, life altering. Look at Acts chapter nine, Saul's conversion. Window rattling, life altering worship of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, giving him the honor, the praise, and the glory. Let's pray. Father God, this is your word. We thank you for it. We thank you for what, the, um, what John saw in Revelation 4. We thank you for the, the four creatures and what they cried out. And we thank you for the response of the 24 elders on their faces, casting their crowns to you, saying and doing. Lord, when I worship, it's not me before the church. It's me before you. And that's true of everyone in this room. Would you teach us that, Lord? Would you teach us that our worship is not about us? Our worship is about who you are, what is yours, and what you have done. And do a work in us for your glory, for your fame. We pray in Jesus' name.